All right, so we have a lockdown special today. Uh, in the second half of the episode, Shahid has been talking to some people in the games development community about kind of the, how they're handling um, their their lockdowns and being distributed and stuff like that right now. We'll get to that in a bit. But I figured it might be interesting to talk about some of the games that we've been playing um, during this period of time. Uh, I am, of course, still playing Animal Crossing. Like, mm. um, like it just it's you just are. nonstop. Obsessed with Animal Crossing. It's big time. Every day, mm. at least an hour Every or day. two a day. Every day, yeah. So can you tell me, um, how do you structure your Animal Crossing um, daily game time? Like, is it in the morning, in the evening? Both. So uh, okay. we'll always play in the morning. Both me and my wife will play in the morning. So we wake up. It's like the first thing we do. We get our coffee. We sit down. We open up the game. I see what's going on. You know, like I get my announcements. I open my mail, then I'll go to the stores, see what's in the stores, buy what I want, then I'll go around, collect up all my resources for the day, you know, like I'll collect up my fruit and that kind of stuff, I'll sell it, and that, and if I have any other projects that I want to complete, I'll do them then, otherwise I'll stop playing, and then we'll check in again later in the evening, um, and then that is kind of the more variable time, like, mm. you know, I might play for 20 minutes, I might play for three hours, like it depends on what I've got in that evening. And that will be where I'm doing stuff like going fishing, going to mystery islands and seeing what's going on there, or like terraforming my island, like I'm I'm redesigning certain parts of it now, I'm in that kind of phase, I'm building like a big museum area and that kind of stuff. So it is... I'm enjoying it greatly. Uh, I enjoy it especially because me and my wife can play. And we're not playing together, but we play together. You know what I mean? Like we have separate switches with, and, and it's a nice thing that we right. are sharing. But I also have other friends that I'm visiting islands, they're visiting mine, that kind of stuff. But really, like it's just remaining to be a perfect game for me right now for what I'm looking for. Now, Federico, I know you're not playing because yeah. whenever I see you logging on, <laughs> just on your Switch, <laughs> it's telling me you're playing Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you drop off Animal Crossing? Uh, I did. I was... um. Hmm. Let me see how I can explain this. Um, You don't need to explain it. We got it. You're... No, I don't yeah. think it's a good time for me right, right now. Yes, so... There's there's two sides to this answer. One is I don't think it's a good time for me right now to to play Animal Crossing because I like I started playing, I started playing a lot. Like I put, you know, in a, in a couple of days, I think like 15, 20 hours into mm. the game. Mm-hmm. And then it just started feeling like a responsibility. And I don't like that feeling. Mm. Like it started feeling like I felt bad for like missing, you know watering my flowers or like doing things mm. and i don't feel like i'm in the in the mind space right now to to have that sort of uh, responsibility for a video game you know um i i, I didn't like that feeling so maybe hmm. it's a game i will have to revisit uh later that's interesting it uh, you know when when something feels like oh i have to do this it it's not a game anymore it becomes like a task and i don't you know, I don't like my games to feel like tasks. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why because I, I love Animal Crossing, right? I And I when I started playing it, I was super into it. And I also think at the same time, what happened is I have gotten decently good at competitive Pokemon. 
to the point where I, you know, I I get a lot of uh, endorphins <laughs> from that game. Uh, I feel I, like this is more of a Pokemon problem than an Animal Crossing problem. Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, I, I I have gotten somewhat decent at playing online. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now I'm still 50-50 in terms of uh, losses and wins, but I'm in the Master Ball tier, and this season I've done 150 matches, I think, and uh, I have about 70 wins, which is, like, incredible to think about that five months ago, it was just losses, and yeah. I was able to win 70 times. Um, and, you know, uh, I, what I've done this season was I've, I've tried a bunch of different teams, I've tried a bunch of different different things, and I've spent basically the past month just reading Pokemon and trying different approaches, mm. trying weird stuff, and just experimenting with new and different strategies. And I felt like at this time of my life right now, it just it, it, it just feels really good to me to do that. And at the same time, I've also established this routine where during the day I, I you know, I work, I play with the dogs, I spend time with Sylvia, we work on our projects, uh, we cook together, we do things together. And then in the evening, when she, when, you know, she goes to, she sleeps before I do. I uh, watch a bunch of YouTube videos on, uh, you know, from my favorite Pokemon creators, get some ideas there. And then I either play online or I start reading, uh, you know, Pokemon while leaving a Twitch stream going in the background. Because my favorite Pokemon creator, uh, Wolfie Glick, has been attempting to get to the number one um in the Master Ball tier uh, globally, and it's been uh, failing for a couple of weeks, and it's been amusing to watch because it, you know, it's very funny uh, the way that he presents it. Uh, so yeah, uh, um, yeah, I'm obsessed with Pokemon to the point where I haven't even started playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is sitting right in front of me. I got the special edition, and it's still in the box. I can't believe this. Like, this is showing the level at which you are obsessed with Pokemon right now. Because yeah, I know I, you have been waiting for that Final Fantasy game for oh years. Man. And you bought the wild special edition, didn't you? One yeah, of them? I, yeah, the one with the big statue of Cloud and the motorbike. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. It's the very when the box came it was like it looked like a TV box almost because it's a huge, it's not an action figure, it's like a mini statue. Um yeah. Yeah, so uh, I I, ju- I checked last night up to 340 hours of gameplay in Pokemon Sword. So it's the game I've played the most in my entire life. Uh, That's more wild. Than, more than Zelda, more than Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, yeah, I have become an online play person. Uh, you know, I've I've always been a competitive person, but I've never I never was a, an online competitive person you know I, I i on this show and in previous iterations of our video game podcasts i always said i cannot stand the pressure of playing online um and then i think, I think, I think pokemon's you know, different to a first person shooter though yeah or a sports game yeah 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 so uh i've gotten you know i, I like i love the feeling when i when i defeat my opponent mm-hmm. and i I've reached the point where I I enjoy learning from my mistakes when mm-hmm. I lose. Well, and I still lose a lot, right? Because I have 70 losses and 70 wins. But when I think about it, right? And I see these people that have been playing uh, competitive Pokemon since 2011, 2012. Um, and they have, I don't know, like 100 
uh, wins and 60 losses. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, you know, I feel pretty good about myself because I started doing this in November. So these people have been doing it for eight years. In this season, do you mean? When you, those numbers? In this season, in this season, right? I uh, In this se- season four, from mm-hmm. April 1st to May 1st, I have 70 wins and 70 losses. And I see these other folks that have been playing for a decade. And this season they have 100 wins and, I don't know, 50, 60 losses. I feel pretty good about myself, honestly. You know? Because, of course, they win more, but they've been playing for a decade. I've been playing since November. I think that's really good. I think it's, you know, I'm I'm, I'm getting better. And, uh, yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy it very much. So this will be, well, I was about to say this will be over at some point, but there's also the DLC coming. And the DLC will add even more Pokemon that you will be able to use online. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's June, right? It's June, yeah. The first one, at least. I'm not going to do what you're doing, but I'm looking forward to getting back into <laughs> the game itself. But just mm-hmm. like the competitive play has never really interested me that much. Because I, I don't even think that battling is my favorite part of Pokemon. So like right. it, it doesn't it doesn't tempt me like that. Yeah. Shahid, have you been plowing all of your time into <laughs> various <laughs> video game franchises? <laughs> well, uh, I think nobody's gonna be surprised to hear that the answer to that is no. That said, just a couple of weeks ago, I was playing a fair bit. I was actually playing on the Xbox, mm-hmm. um, which I've not done before, has to be said. But I got it out. I think it might have been more than a couple of weeks ago. And uh, somebody really nice, who I've known for a while in Microsoft, in Xbox rather, pretty high up. Um, I'm not allowed to say who he is. Gave me a, a lovely gift. Uh, not the machine, has to be said, but something that was just as valuable in in another way to me. And so I've been playing a ton of um, Xbox games, uh, but more sampling them, not really Mm -hmm. playing anything to depth. Mm -hmm. And then I play some Lego games with my son, which was, which is fun. Those Lego games are just incredible. They are excellent. Uh, I just can't believe how much good writing goes into them. And, you know, they're really, really thoughtfully done, very Mm -hmm. tasteful, very elegant, very polished, very easy to get into and enjoy and get a lot of meat out of, you know? Yeah. Um, but also in the evenings or the very early mornings, I was playing Wolfenstein. Can't even remember which one. I had a couple of them off the game pass and uh, they were okay. But then I, I got that feeling that an old um, A&R man does, which is, you know, I've kind of played this kind of thing before. Do I really want to go through this again? Mm-hmm. And I kind of stopped playing those. So, uh, and more recently... Things have gone absolutely crazy work-wise, which I know sounds unexpected given the um, situation. State of first. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, things have gone absolutely crazy work-wise. And I had this enormous pile of games that I had plenty of time to get through with no concern about destruction. Suddenly work went mental and I've done nothing since. And I mean, I've not played a game since I... I don't know, two weeks or something, three weeks? It's been it's been quite a while. Well, I have some others. So I've dusted off the old Oculus Rift. Ha. Okay. Oh, nice. I desperately wish I could get a quest right now. Um just because it's like I would like to be able to play them anywhere in the house. Uh because I have other places in my house rather than my office where I do have more space, which would be like open space which would be better 
um, and also so I didn't have to be so cabled. But I'm keeping my eye on that. As you can imagine, I don't know if you guys notice actually, um, Oculus Quests are sold out literally everywhere right now. Like yeah, you yeah. cannot get one for love nor money from anybody. Um, I helped my friend get one uh, the other day, so I'll I'll drop you a note about that later. Mm, okay. Um, they may yeah, have, and I sold mine I just know. before lockdown. Did you? Yeah. Do you regret um, that? <laughs> you, actually, massively. You, well, yeah, because you could have some of the prices like on eBay and stuff right now are <laughs> absolutely obscene. Like I have seen them going on eBay for for like eight hundred pounds, which Don't is tell me which that. is twice the price. I mean, eighty four uh, pence is is what I meant to say. Uh, Thank yeah. you. That's, it that's is. Good. It's wild because like people, this is a thing that people want right now for obvious reasons. Um, it, it benefits from like being an active type of activity you can do, which is fun at home, but also can give you that like feeling of having done something right. So I, after recording a recent episode of another show that I do called Cortex, where my co-host Gray was telling me about, because he got a quest for in, but just before lockdowns began, because he thought people might want one, might want them. So I thought, mm. oh, now's the time. It's going to be something to do. And he put this idea in my mind of like being able to use VR as a way to help you feel like you've been to another place, which is an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, but it, it basically made me take a look at a couple of games. One that I've been waiting on, uh, which is Vacation Simulator. If you listen to this show, you know I was a big fan of Job Simulator, which is this comedic um, uh, game. Uh, I believe Alchemy Labs was bought by Google? Yeah, that's right. You got it. Um, and they it basically job simulator was just like this hilarious, like in the future, how will the robots that that effectively uh, put like you know put us all out to pasture think humans worked? And you end up with this this like ridiculous like objective based game standing in place doing weird things. Uh, then they created Vacation Simulator, which is a similar idea, but for vacations rather than work. This game is much, much bigger. You you actually have a movement mechanic. There are a lot more different types of activities, and it feels a little bit more free-roaming. Um, I haven't put too much time into this one. Funnily enough, whilst I like the idea that there's more to do, the fact that there's more to do makes me less kind of exploratory. Like what I liked about Job Simulator was it was the first game that I played on VR where you kind of had that feeling of can I do this and you try it and it works. You know, like taking a coffee mug, put it in the photocopier, press the button, do you photocopy a mug? And like yeah, you do, and you get a second mug, right? Like stuff like that. But with this game where it's more you have the ability to move around and do more things and choose what you want to try out. Like there are different areas that you can go to. You're like you're at a beach. Do you want to go to the beachfront? Do you want to go and stand in the water? Do you want to go up to the barbecue? Like you have more movement in an area because they're using that teleporting mechanic that a lot of VR games do now. It's it's made it's made me feel like less the the lack of constraint or like the the fewer constraints is making me not want to explore, which is an interesting thing but it mm. is very fun it shares a lot of the ideas and i do want to spend more time digging around this game because i do really like the worlds that alchemy labs create um i've gone back to beat saber uh beat saber you know it is the premier vr game right like it's the one it's why facebook bought the company right because like that's it beat saber sells people on vr 
Um, they've added a bunch of new songs, but what I like now is they've also added a campaign mode, so you can go through the different songs, they increase the difficulties and stuff like that. But I believe this game came up once on the show. I think you recommended it, Shahid. I have found yeah. my new favorite VR game, which is Pistol Whip. <laughs> that Pistol Whip is absolutely incredible. It is a mix between a shooting game and a and a rhythm game. It is like Beat Saber with guns, but you're shooting people. It's like you know, it's, it's similar in super like super hot in that um you're not actually it's not actually people you're shooting it's just like polygon renderings you know it feels more like you are in as it the game does a good job of like you are in a like a shooting range like it's targets right mm. rather than actual humans which which makes it feel much more comfortable to me to play um this game you do have to get used to the fact that you are moving forward i've not played many uh vr games that actually move you through a space and that takes a bit to get used to but the fact that this is like, you know, you can shoot your gun to the beat and you get more points that way, but it's really exhilarating, but not in a way that makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, that nothing's really jumping out at me. I don't feel like a sense of danger in this game, which I don't like very much from VR. But yeah, if you have any VR system, you've got to try Pistol Whip. It is absolutely excellent. Really, really great game. And a great workout too, right? Oh, very much so. It's similar to Beat Saber in that way. But I really, I mean, I was surprised. Like, I find this, it might be a recency thing, I don't know. But I find this game more fun than Beat Saber. Um, I think Beat Saber, weirdly enough, might be a better VR game. Especially it's because, to, it's because you're shooting people. <laughs> yeah, the shooting is fun. Like it is a fun thing to do because, like, you feel cool if you get that guy who's all the way over there. You know, like yeah. there is that exhilaration that comes from it, which, like, I can't help the way it makes me feel. Right? That's it. Makes me feel like it, it's 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 active and fun, and the music's really good. But it has a mechanic which. I can't help but enjoy, which is like to shoot these targets, right? And and because when, when you do it and you do it right, it has more of an accomplished feeling than even Beat Saber does for me. But Beat Saber is like still the best VR game, right? Like it's the one that you can sell someone on VR with, right? You're like, you never tried VR before? Okay, put this on, try this game. And like you, everyone gets captured by it, right? Like I have had a 100% success rate introducing people to Beat Saber, right? Like everybody loves it. Um, I watched Federico destroy my yep. computer once playing it. Yeah, right? like, it's a true story. It is excellent. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to see that they're continuing to do it. I'm really pleased that they're putting licensed music in the game. Whilst none of the licensed packs that they have available for purchase right now interest me that much i think it's a great move for the game um to do to do licensed stuff like that that's the rock band model right mm. like the mm -hmm. music that they have is really good the fact that you can do custom songs is really good but being able to buy like they have like a timberland pack and a green day pack right now like that's really good i want to see more i want to like daft punk or something that's what i want yeah um like more dance than rock bands uh for this game but like and, and more drum and bass and stuff would be cool but yeah i I if you've not tried out Pistol Whip, you really should. Like, it is a great evolution of the Beat Saber mechanic. You know, one of the things that I love about Beat Saber, and it's been said before, is like it is a true VR game, right? Like 
This is not a game mode ported to VR, right? Like a lot of shooters have been or whatever, or it's like we have to work out how we're going to make it work in this environment. That is a game that's like VR was created, and then someone was like, I have an idea for a great VR game, and they made Beat Saber. Mm. Pistol Whip is like another of these types of games. I expect Pistol Whip was like they saw Beat Saber, and they were like, we could do that, but for shooting games. And they did it. And so, like, you know, it, 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 I guess it's always frustrating to somebody who creates something to, to be called, like, we are the X for Y, but Pistol Whip is the Beat Saber for shooting games. Mm. And if you've played Beat Saber, that should probably sell you on it. It's really very, very, very good. Have you tried the new Half-Life? No, I'm too scared of it. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, I've seen videos, um, and it it it's it looks too scary for me. for For me personally, I don't think that I could uh, that I could play it. Right. Uh, what about Apple Arcade? Have you guys been playing any games? Any of the new games on Apple Arcade? The one that I like the most at the moment is called Round Guard, which yeah. is like uh, RPG slash Peggle, and Peggle was one of my very favorite games of all time. So yeah, I've been playing that and I like that. Yeah, I need to I have a bunch of games I downloaded from Apple Arcade on my home screen that I never got to. So that's been my like pretty much overall history of Apple Arcade. Mm-hmm. Um I have a bunch of games that I downloaded that I want to play and I just haven't gotten to them. But yeah. I would say I pick up a game frequently enough that it is worth my five pounds a month. I think that's the idea, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, but you have that broad selection, and something decent will surface to justify your five pounds a month. Yep. And I would say I think you know I, I, I've heard mixed opinions on this, but I think they have fulfilled the promise. Like, there's stuff, and there's good stuff, and they're adding good stuff frequently enough that I think you know I, I stand by what I said a long time ago that I I think that this is Apple's best value for any of their subscription services right now. I think time time has proven that out. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Maybe we're still waiting for the, uh, you know, sort of the like the killer game on Apple Arcade. Yes, like, there hasn't been an Alto's Odyssey, right? Or exactly. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we're still waiting for that. I do believe there will be. All right, so uh, Shahid, we also rather than just looking at what video games we are playing in lockdown, we are wondering how lockdowns and, and uh, coronavirus-related social distancing is affecting game developers. Because there's a, few, there's a few kind of things that I wanted to talk about before we go over to our interviews, and I wanted to kind of get your opinion on this. We are in a year which is expecting to see two major console launches, right? We are still expecting the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X to launch this year. Is this going to affect the lineups of these consoles? If I had to hazard a guess, I would say yes. It's one of the greatest feats of modern logistics to launch a piece of consumer technology globally that's so hotly anticipated and is a continuation of a previous cycle, and a cycle that lasts maybe, what, five years nowadays, four years maybe, if you don't count the talk cycle that we now have with modern consoles. It is an enormous process, and that's just on the hardware side. Of course, you have marketing, you have uh, software, 
you have the logistics, you have sales, you have the channels to prepare, you have your partners, you have communication, you have third-party relations. It is absolutely incredible what these organizations achieve. And that's at the best of times. You know, I, I remember previously there were issues when there was the earthquake in Japan and that caused all kinds of knock-on effects. But this is going to have a much, much greater effect because there are some things where you simply need people in the same room. And one of the reasons for that, by the way, if I, if I just focus on software for a minute, is that certainly for consoles and for AAA games in general, the amount of data that needs to be transferred and transported is colossal. Mm. And if you think about the size of, say, Red Dead Redemption 2 as a download, that's the final package. That's not the source. The source is way bigger. I mean, we're talking about perhaps terabytes of data that contain the source materials and assets in their raw form for the game. Everything from uh, from art to music uh, and and on. And obviously there's reference material as well. And then there's the ability of teams to actually access that data mm. in a secure location on a high-speed network while also discussing the project in the same space. So for really, really large AAA projects, this presents a problem. And one of the choke points <laughs> for that... <laughs> I feel like you understated that one a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. A it's little bit. a problem. That's like... <laughs> yeah. You know what happened there? You, you know what happened is I actually went back into PlayStation mode. Just for a second, I imagined that I was communicating to the outside world what right. it would be like if there was a complete disaster. I was on the inside and I was communicating this to the outside. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a colossal issue. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. So, okay, so that's the downside, right? It's It's almost impossible to pull off this feat at the best of times. But at a time like this, my goodness, is it a time for people with really, um, really amazing problem-solving skills? And let's just say, like, I, I think we need to state the, the case here. Like, f- I think for a lot of game developers right now, especially the platform companies, you are, you must be looking at this. This is unprecedented demand opportunity, mm. right? Because everyone is looking at Nintendo right now. The the sales figures for Animal Crossing are absolutely unprecedented. Like every day I'm seeing a new story, right? That it's like currently the third highest launch title for Nintendo on physical sales of all time, beating everything except I think two Super Smash games. Right? And this is in a time where people can't even go to video game stores. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw another headline that Animal Crossing's like launch weekend beat on digital downloads every game in history. <laughs> right? Like it is absolutely obscene. If you have a title right now that can be released, the opportunity to you is huge because people are at home. They need entertainment. Yeah, I mean it's not just a triple A thing either. No. Every, everybody's reporting better figures. Mm-hmm. The downside is that it's not sustainable because over the long term, there'll be more economic uncertainty 
And although in the past, historically, we've seen that game sales are robust, even at times of economic hardship, this is going to be a time of economic hardship like we've never seen yep. um, in, in our lifetimes anyway. Uh, possibly people who'd lived through World War II and the immediate aftermath will have their own stories to tell. But we're talking about people who've grown up um, playing video games in the modern era. And of course, there were no video games back then. So it will, at some point, take a tumble. And what will happen is that people will focus on on fewer or free. And the free ones, of course, will be advertising or subscription supported. But that said, sales of software should be robust. There, uh, I said robust, yeah? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll slip back to that PR mode. <laughs> We're having oh that God. kind of conversation, though. <laughs> we are, we are. Okay, no, sales will be good. You know, and things are doing really, really well right now. Mobile's up uh, enormously, apparently. I'm hearing sales are up uh, a significant, uh, significant amount. So that's good. And the, you know the thing I like about the situation? Because there's a lot not to like about the situation. But let's talk about some of the stuff that is okay to good. And that is that I think a lot more people are now seeing that games serve a really important human need and that the creation of games is not a trivial pastime. I'm not just trying to justify my life, by the way. I'm just saying that, you know, for a while it seemed like games were being uh, hit on in a negative way and seen as frivolous or, in some cases, even dangerous. And now people are saying, hold on a minute, these things are really useful. These things are making people happy. And surely at a time like this, sudden, suddenly we've got this massive reprioritization of values and priorities. And, and, and that, I think, shows people that this is one of those things that makes people happy and therefore it's a good activity in a way that very, very few other mediums do. Because it's not just the games themselves. It's the fact that with so many games, people can communicate with one another while they're playing with them it's a form of socializing yes that isn't available in in any other medium again sorry to keep talking about it but like another really really great thing about animal crossing is that it encourages that for sure it, it doesn't surprise me that animal crossing is going to probably be defined as a game of the era for that reason yes because it gave people um a haven you know, a safe place of joy mm-hmm. at what what was probably going to be the most difficult period of their lives, uh, and and it's a period that everybody on the planet is sharing. Mm-hmm. So that that makes it even more powerful. I think it will be defined as one of those epoch making games. This is going to be yeah, very very uh, very important in history. I think. Yeah, late, I mean, later on, one of our guests is going to talk about um, exactly how the situation has caused video games to become more important in a social level. So we're worth listening out for that. But yeah, yep. that, and there are practical issues to games development at the moment. Um, and there's an awful lot of pressure on the internet, as we know. Uh, bandwidth restrictions mm-hmm. have been voluntarily reached by companies that ordinarily consume a large amount of the bandwidth. I mean, I'm not just talking about the likes of Netflix and Disney, which you might well expect, but also PlayStation and and so on, and all of the other big players have um, throttled a little bit in order to alleviate pressure so that the emergency services don't ever have any issues. 
but yeah, harder to develop, certainly, especially if you're trying to um, access the portals, which often require uh, static IP, or if you're trying to get access to a dev kit, you know, these things all have to be worked around. And that's made the development of games much harder, especially when you're trying to transport hundreds of gigabytes of data from one place to another many, many times a day. Surely this this does make an opportunity for existing distributed teams though right because like a lot of indie games are made by distributed teams like it's a, it's a very normal thing you've done it right companies that are, are game development houses that are set up for this surely are going to have a benefit especially especially if platform owners are looking for content because there are delays from the more traditional outlets yes and and that's always been the case because let's face it there will always been delays to mm. uh the traditional triple a content because it's mm -hmm. extraordinarily hard and expensive to make and they can't afford to make mistakes and if they make mistakes during development they will go over it again and they'll take as long as they need to take in order to make sure that the game is of good enough quality so that situation has always existed i think that the biggest difference now with distributed teams is that they're getting bigger and bigger uh, whereas before, dis distributed development was seen as something that only small indies did. Yeah. Now, larger companies are doing it as well. And a lot of the language and a lot of the technology around distributed development has now become mainstream. Mm -hmm. And so everybody's talking about it. So at least now people can see that when people say they're a distributed team, it's not seen as something that's inferior or second best. It's actually a pretty difficult discipline to get right. And it involves lots of problem solving um, in its own right that is not normally encountered by teams that are located in the same place. Before we go into the interviews that you've conducted for us, Shahid, uh, was there any kind of context that you wanted to give? Sure. Um, both of the people that I spoke to already have distributed setups right and that used to be unusual but it is becoming more and more the norm and i think one of the things that we are likely to see once this horrible situation resolves and i'm not sure it will ever completely resolve but it will certainly get better one of the things that i would really like to see is more more people adopting this approach mm. But more importantly, more people respecting it as not only legitimate and valid, but in some cases preferable because it actually puts less strain on the planet and it has a smaller um, ecological footprint as well. And so for those reasons and many others, I think, you know, the ability for people to be able to organize their lives, because one of the things that we've, we've come to realize, I think, at this time, is how important human beings being able to communicate with other human beings is and how much it hurts when we don't have that. And when you take that away, you need to replace it with something. Video games is one of those things, but you'll never ever completely replace the need for human beings to want to be together. And so hopefully that's, that's one of the things that we'll cherish a lot more once we're out of this. I'm joined today by David Eastman, Managing Director of Oversight Productions, who are working on uh, 
forthcoming video game, Floor 13 Deep State, on which I'm privileged to be the producer. So, full disclosure there. David, welcome to Remaster. Ah, Shai, good afternoon. Very good to be here. And thank you for being my producer as well. My privilege and pleasure, David. David, you say, of course, that you're here and neither of us are here, which is quite unusual because we do tend to get together to meet about the project fairly often and enjoy splendid coffee, as I'm sure you'll confess. I, I was going to say, I, I'm looking at my rather poorer coffee standard and wishing I was at yours in the shed right now, but there you go. Such is lockdown. So apart from um, coffee and chat about the project, David, you run a distributed team. To what extent would you say the normal operation of your business has had to change? As I've probably mentioned over time, Right now, because we're heading towards a milestone, the lockdown has actually helped us because it's, it's an easy focus because days are the same, which is the way developers feel as they come towards what we horribly call crunch. But I'm simply going to say focus towards the milestone. So that has helped quite a great deal. There's an unfortunate balance between availability of developers is, of course, higher, but also their fragility is a little bit higher as well because you have to be wary that just because they're there, that doesn't mean they want to be there or they're in the environment that they are choosing. So that certainly is a problem. For other parts of the business, the usual things apply. Like if there's a problem with uh, tax or something, which there has been, um, it's not as easy as you like to go and get to HMRC as they have other things to deal with right now. And that's the other problem. Some parts of people you talk to third parties are absolutely fine and sometimes they have you know in capital letters other things to deal with and you have to quickly remember oh yeah we we are actually in a bit of a disaster and many things don't work properly however the day-to-day running of a team right now while we're going towards a milestone i think it's actually improved wow wow okay i mean i i really like the way you you put that that the availability has increased but fragility has in line with that so yep. what would you say is the single most surprising change? I think the probably this probably the single most surprising change has been the need to quickly assess for each person in the team what their background environment is when you didn't really need to do it before. So normally, of course, we have our sort of business front end and our personal front end, and those really only clash a little bit if you ask people or assume they're going to work, you know, during the weekend, you know, which they might or not do, or, or in the evening and so forth. Now, the, one of the surprising things is you actually have to take in other parts of people's life, but without just sort of saying, this part is my business life, this part is my work life. You have to take in a part, this part is my, my business life, but my business life includes there's a six-year-old next door, you know, <laughs> and I have mm. to have a door closed because I don't assume that, you know, that there won't be any interruptions. And there's lots of little things that previously you can say, this is your working life, this is your home life. And now other things can sort of seep through either way. And you have to obviously take that into account. You know, again, somebody's available, but they might have to be on a telephone call to a, you know, to a family member for quite a long time in the middle of the day. You can't sort of suggest that's a problem. So those are some of the, some of the, some of the surprising differences that you just have to remember about. Yeah, interesting that, because it's like a, a blurring of boundaries is the normal life of somebody who works remotely. It, it's something that, that they take for granted, right? But what has happened in this new world 
is that the blurring of boundaries has happened for absolutely everyone at the same time when most people yes, weren't used yes. to it. And because of that, finding the boundaries again is extraordinarily difficult. And we've had to adjust our boundaries accordingly and accept that even our own boundaries, which were normally a little bit blurred, are even more blurred than usual. Uh, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm, as I was um, uh, uh, mentioning earlier, so I have this thing where uh, sort of I, I, I'm now playing Fortnite with my friends. Now, these are friends I would normally be playing sports with during the weekend. We can't do that. So we sort of try to thread that in during the day. So it's an old friendship, a very old friendship that has to be sort of rebranded <laughs> into this new format. And of course, we use Fortnite. And why do we use Fortnite? Because some people have PCs, some people have phones, some people have PS4s, and it's crossplay. So suddenly something like crossplay, which is not even a word I would have used before, is like very important because how many people do you want to deal with? If you want to deal with everyone you know, you have to take these things into account. So and in the same way, the same thing sort of happened with work as well. You have to sort of rebrand your work relationship to work through other, you know, the other boundaries that are normally defined by the home thing. So it's quite interesting. It's quite, sort of quite a fresh dynamic. But at the same time, I don't think it's necessarily harmed anything so far. What do you think is going to um, is going to remain the same, or what do you think the new normal is going to include from things that have changed during this time once lockdown ends, particularly for for your business? Okay, so I mean, uh, from from the personal side, I'll just do this 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 quickly. So there's the classic. Uh, my partner will often say, "Oh, come on, David, you're home. Surely you can do some cooking." <laughs> and I say, yeah, I'm physically home. <laughs> that doesn't mean that my attention can naturally wander. Now she's been having to work from home. So suddenly she's going to have the same perspective that I do. So that's an interesting one. Right. But from the business perspective, obviously, uh, I think people are going to start to listen to this thing about lots of pointless meetings, things that you, so there's that office culture of the meeting which is very common and it's, it's almost harmless, but it's sort of time waste proceeding, but it's a way of sort of getting communication and socializing. It's an important part of office culture, but it's also a bit of a waste of time. And I think a lot of that is going to get cut out because the sort of modern things like Slack, where you, where you uh, communicate when you want to and you can monitor when you want to, are going to be naturally coming to the fore. And some of the uh, habits that are born of the office, so to speak, are going to slowly be seen for what they are, which is not really essential, and a confusion between socialising and actually working, which now that we've worked this new way, we've all worked this new way, I think people will be able to see a bit more. David, thanks very much for joining us on Remaster. Pleasure. I'm joined by Graham Struthers, as well as being a Liverpool fan. He is one of the co-founders <laughs> of Devolver Digital and works in production and marketing. Graham, thank you very much for joining us on Remaster today. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about lockdown yeah, and to what extent you think it's affected the normal running of your business. Uh, the, the easy part is, is the day-to-day -day for us probably hasn't changed that much business-wise because... Since the very beginning of Devolver, um, everybody has worked worked from home. Uh, so the journey to the office for any one of us has been getting out of bed <laughs> and walking maybe one or two meters and then 
there's your work. So the actual side of it for most of us, in fact, I think all of us, um, is pretty much the same. The only the only one of us who's kind of a little bit out of step is that Abby, who lives in Shanghai, because of how the, the, the quarantine unfolded in China, she got caught in Taiwan visiting her parents uh, during Chinese New Year, and she's yet to get back to Shanghai because the quarantine rules are still... Uh, she would have to go into two weeks of quarantine. If she was to go back to Shanghai right now, she would immediately have to go into two weeks of quarantine. So she's the only one that's actually technically uh, not doing her normal day-to-day at home. She, she's doing it at her parents' house. Mm. So that part hasn't really cha- changed. Yeah, like I said, and I think that's a bit that's a little bit baffling sometimes for anyone who is used to working at home, like yourself, right? I mean, this doesn't feel like such a seismic shift in, in your day-to-day. Because it's really what you've been doing for many years. Right. So to some extent, the initial impact was probably felt less uh, by people like ourselves who've been working from home. Mm. Obviously, doesn't, that doesn't mean there isn't uh, an, an impact. Yeah, that's, so that's what I want to talk about, really. What, what's been tougher to handle for you than usual? I think it's a very odd thing, but because you do work from home and because we are a very, I mean, Devolver is, is spread out globally. You know, we've got, you know, Abby, uh, as I mentioned, normally in Shanghai, Hazel's in Beijing, Sam's in Huangzhou. Then you've got Anna in Warsaw, Juan in Madrid, obviously myself and Andrew and Robert in London. Um, and then you've got John in Seattle. I could keep going with the names, yeah, but yeah, we are yeah. spread out. So actually, I think what you find with all of us, what we have in common is that we're actually very social animals. And so because you work from home and because you, you, you work largely on your own, you really look forward to any opportunity that presents itself to, to socialize with your colleagues. Yeah. And throughout the, the year, some of us would right now be on planes to Kyoto for a bit summit. And that would have brought together five or six of us and we'd have had our event and we'd have socialized and we'd have caught up with each other's lives and, you know, exchanged ideas. Uh, the same, not too far away, is would have been E3 where, where the whole company comes together. That's our special once a year event where everybody gathers. And, and you know. So when these things start to go away, actually, you realize we could go through the, the entirety of 2020 yeah. not actually seeing each other physically, not being together. And that's actually quite, um, we're, we're all just getting on with it and we're doing our job. But I think that sadness is is there in the background as a knowledge that we're missing that summit we missed rest in London. Obviously, there's reboot, which would have been taking place in Dubrovnik, I think, this week. E3, which, is, as I mentioned, is a big event. Gamescom, another one. PAX, where, I mean, the list is just there. Yeah. And yeah. They're, all, they're all going. Um, so I think for Devolver, that's going to be the toughest thing. Is we're not going to get to hang out. And get the energy that you get from each other when you're together, as yeah. well as the <laughs> taken. <laughs> so th- there's that psychic cost, and the juice that one normally gets as a remote worker from interacting with one's colleagues has just gone. Do you think? Do you think video is in any way an adequate substitute for that human contact? No, it's, it's certainly it's, it's a good. I mean, I mean, I can only say personally because I mean, um, you know, there may be a generational difference in how this is playing out. 
it's certainly good to have video and and and, and I noticed that we've used it you know we would we have our a lot of communication like like this you know whether it's with Skype or Hangouts or whatever but I've noticed that more and more of us are actually switching on uh, cameras and having even if it's just at the start of the gathering it's like there's a, the cameras are on there's a bit more of that going on than, than previously uh, obviously we're all living in a situation where broadband is not necessarily at its peak so the cameras tend to go off yeah as the calls quality drop there's been a lot more memes flying around as well you know <laughs> do you think the games industry has been affected differently depending on which parts of the games industry we're talking about i mean for example developers versus small distributed publishers like yourselves uh, compared to say large platform holders that kind of thing yeah I, I can't imagine how complex it must be uh if you're sony or microsoft or nintendo um or the, the larger publishers but i imagine for sony and microsoft they've got a lot to problem solve as they prepare for new platforms so that to me must be a an absolute bewildering challenges for us and for the developers we work with, I think to have develop, developers suddenly dispersed to work from home, you've got to kind of consider the fact that not everybody, by any means, would everybody have, have at home the space to set up a place where they'd actually be able to work at work. You can't assume everyone's got desks. They may not have the best internet connection. Uh, for people who are working on builds, who are looking at accessing central servers so it becomes a challenge for your IT people so actually the, the number of things that people are having to overcome and, and are overcoming so quickly is impressive yeah um, but I'm sure for, for a lot of people right now um, or for many people they're sitting in quite cramped conditions possibly I mean my, my desk right, right now I mean I will have been working for a while Nina, my daughter's now at home. Uh, that desk is gone, so I had to take the door off of the bathroom and use that door uh, upon a whole bunch of books to make a desk. Mm. I mean, I was quite pleased with myself. I'm not going <laughs> to mention it and bringing it up. But again, that I'm sure for many people, that's the kind of things we're looking at. How do I actually work from home? And um, in a world where you can't go out and buy stuff easily, or maybe not even have the means to go out and you know, you know push your bedroom into an office. Yeah, I imagine there's going to be a lot of chiropractors and physios picking work after this for that. <laughs> People not working with office chairs, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know? So finally, I wanted to ask you, do you think once lockdown is over, that there'll be anything that's changed about your working practices that you will be continuing with? Again, because we have been working like this for such a long time, I think what it does is it resets everything. Uh, and, and by that, I think that's, there's some real upsides because perhaps um, if you you know, if you know ever found yourself kind of saying, either in line or even out loud, oh, do I really have to do this? Do I have to go to this? And whatever that thing was, whether it was you know a meeting in London or maybe an event, I always was being used by people who would say, oh, my goodness, I have to go to E3. I hate going 
I think that that reset will affect us in such a positive way. It's going to be like I mean, you're going to look forward to those opportunities. You're going to be much more thoughtful about how lucky you are to even have them. Yeah. Uh, but I think perhaps we'll be a bit more thoughtful about the the industry itself. We're very fortunate to work in. I think for bigger companies and also for those who have perhaps resisted distributed working or sometimes, and I think when you're a developer, that could have been seen as a barrier to getting opportunities. Sometimes, you you know, you could be seen negatively because you're working from home. That's not really a serious business. That's not very adult. Yeah. I think that might change. Not, I mean, it changed for us a long time ago, right? Yeah. You, and, you and myself have been doing this for quite some time. But I still felt there was, even with Devolver, they're like, oh, those, 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 those folks all work from their bedrooms. It's almost like you're not very serious. You're not like, you know, and, and if someone was saying, when can we come to your office and you make a joke, you kind of knew deep down that they'd be thinking, oh, well, that's not much of a business. Hmm. You know, if you're not in some chrome glass edifice somewhere. So there might be there might be a reset of how we're perceiving where people work in that it doesn't matter. And it should never have mattered, but it doesn't matter because it's been proven that people are working from home. They're still making contributions to to games. And so some of the bigger companies might think this is, this is an opportunity down the line. Maybe they could start to you know contemplate homework working for any of their staff, which would in the long run benefit them from not having to pay rent on big offices. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> That'd be a thing. Imagine that. Graham, thanks very much for joining us. 